Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. So, a couple days ago, I logged into an old email address that I had, and it's a pretty old one. I don't even really use it anymore, but I had a lot of emails saved, and I've talked about a couple of them in a previous episode, um, emails that my aunt had sent me. And I was kind of going through them again. And I went into my sent folder. And there was so many. (laughs) I never used the account. And when I stopped using it, I didn't really clear it out, I guess. So in the last year that I lived with my parents before my escape. I had met a guy and I mean, we said we were dating, but looking back, we were just basically pen pals. He was deployed to Iraq during the last year that I lived there. And I don't think our relationship lasted until he got home. But I was reading those emails that I had sent to him and in most of the emails I don't really remember the things that I was talking about that were happening but it was I guess enlightening in a way to read my own words and to just see what my mindset was like in the months that were leading up to my escape. So the email started in about December of 2008 and they went all the way up until a little bit before I escaped. I know I had switched over to a different email account. I looked on that one. I don't really have anything on that one, but it was just, it was so eye-opening to read the different things that I was saying to this person about my experiences. And to be honest, like, it's mind-blowing. The things that I wrote, and I'll get to some of those in a little bit, it's just painfully obvious that there was something very wrong happening to me. And... I don't understand how anybody could read the emails that I had written and not try to do anything or say anything. And I don't think he ever actually told me like, hey, you need to get out of this house. And I mean, there were a few emails where I was saying to him, you know, like, why are we fighting? You know, I try to send pictures when I can. So, I mean, clearly he wasn't picking up on everything. I mean, he was just not a good person. And obviously I dodged a bullet with that one. But I think one of the most disturbing things was he asked for pictures, which I mean, a lot of guys deploy do. My husband asked for pictures while he was deployed. But there was a little bit different things in the pictures that I sent to this guy. 
There were pictures where I had obvious welts on my back. And there was another one where there was these weird bruises on like the side of my thigh. And I don't even know what it was. It was just like dots. It looks like, you know, like a meat tenderizer. I showed one friend and she suggested maybe it was like a hairbrush. I mean, I don't even know what it was. I don't remember getting these bruises. But in almost every picture that I sent him, I either had swelling in my face or marks all over my body. And the relationship continued. And he still demanded to see pictures. But it was like, how can you look at pictures of someone that you claim you love, that you claim is your girlfriend? and see her covered in bruises knowing you didn't put them there in some crazy sex act knowing that she was in a very bad situation and just do nothing i mean i understand he was deployed to iraq but i had a very close relationship with his mother and i spent a lot of time up at her house i spent time with his sisters i mean there was a lot of things that could have been done and I don't know if it was just ignorance or what, but it's absolutely disturbing to me to just see these things. So, the emails. And some of them are quite graphic, some aren't. Now, I never talked about the sex trafficking. I didn't talk about the things that I was being forced to do with other men. I didn't talk about the rapes. I didn't talk about sales, anything like that. I don't know how to talk to my husband about it sometimes because, you know, it's just an intimacy thing, I think. You know, I still feel very violated by the things that happened to me and ashamed in certain ways. But it's like, how do you share with someone that you have this intimate relationship with about this trauma because it's like we even had a conversation and I'll spare you all the details with my husband about our sex life today and he said that he was just concerned that certain things might trigger my PTSD and he would never want to do that to me so it's like I know that there's people out there that see it for what it is but this guy didn't you know so In the emails, I started opening up about some of the abuse. And one of the emails, I talked about how my mother had come into my room and was accusing me of abusing pain medication. At this time, I had torn the meniscus in one of my kneecaps and I needed surgery. So the meniscus is actually a piece of cartilage behind your kneecap. And I wasn't abusing meds at this time. I wasn't struggling with the addiction that I talked about. But I was taking the pain meds. It hurt, like, really bad. And I was on crutches. I was constantly having to go 
And I, I talked about that in the email that I was having to hobble on crutches for 20 minutes just to get out the front door to smoke a cigarette. Like I was in so much pain and I was exhausted. I was going to school and I mean, as you can tell when I post my you know, episodes, I am a night owl. I never get up and in school, I had to start getting up early. So it was something about because I was taking naps they thought that I was on drugs. So in the email, I explained how my mother had come in while I was sleeping and counted my pain medication to make sure that I wasn't abusing it. And that's what started this whole fight that I had with her. And um, I don't remember the fight exactly, but the things that I said in there, yeah, I definitely would say things like that. So, uh, what I had written was that, you know, I was just in my room trying to stay away from her and saying, you know, just leave me alone. That's all I'm asking is just to be left alone. I want to do stuff with my children, you know, blah, blah, blah. So she kept screaming and saying that, you know, And this was something that my parents had said a lot. Like, as long as I live under their roof, I have to listen to what they're saying. I have to do this. I have to do that because I live under their roof. I have to follow their rules. Doesn't matter if I'm 26 or 12 or six years old. I have to listen to their rules because that's just how it goes. And I've even had police officers tell me the same thing. Whatever. I totally disagree I think when you're an adult you should be able to be treated as an adult but you know it is what it is so she had said to me that I shouldn't talk to her that way and or something like that and I had responded and said you know what way I'm not yelling I'm not screaming I'm calm I'm just asking you to leave me alone And then my mother threw a camera at me. Um, How do you read that? Like, how do you read that email and not say, like, okay, that's not normal? Because it's like my entire life, like, I was waiting for someone to tell me that it wasn't normal. And I never got that. And it's like here I'm writing to a person, a human being, and... That is very much not normal what my mother did. Counting my pills, screaming at me, causing a scene, telling me that I have to listen to her, you know, and throwing an item at me. That's not normal. So why didn't this guy tell me that? And more importantly, why didn't I know that, obviously? But there was other times where um, I would describe fights with my father I would describe like nightmares where my father had uh, killed one of my friends and like the police didn't believe me and my brothers kept yelling at me that I was lying and that was a dream that didn't happen in real life but it just kind of shows you know my state of mind of the things that were happening to me and I talked about a time where my mother was screaming that you know I didn't spend enough time with my children, which those kids were always hanging out with me. We were always doing stuff together, so I don't see where she got that, but um, 
in the email I had written that they weren't even home that weekend that they were talking about. And I know that, like, at that time I was close with my brothers and they would do sleepovers and, you know, things like that. And I even said in this email that, you know, I had babysat my niece. So when I was sitting here telling them, like, that's not true. I have spent time with my children, you know, um they had told me that I was lying about babysitting my niece, that I had never babysat her, that um, I wasn't spending time with my kids. And I mean, that shows the gaslighting and the psychological abuse that I was going through at the time. And it's like, I'm sitting here telling this guy and he's still not telling me like, this isn't normal. Like you're not going crazy, whatever. And then there was the, one of the more haunting ones was I said to him that it was something where I was arguing with my father and he said that I was an impulsive liar and that he was going to be evicting me out of the home. This was in August. So it was just shy of a month before I left, probably about six weeks, um, before I actually escaped and I said that you know I explained I was going to school and that I was looking for a job after school because I was close to graduating and that I was going to get an apartment and I just I needed to get through school you know I didn't have anywhere to go yada yada and that's when he said that I'm an impulsive liar and I wrote down that I had you know, inquired to him about what, what are these lies? Like, what are these lies? And I I remember always asking that because they always told me I was lying about things and I was remembering things wrong and making things up. So he had said that I accused him of hitting me and he never did that I had actually been the one that hit him and he had the bruises to prove it. And then I explained how he lifted up his shirt and showed me bruises. And I said in the email, I swear to God, I never hit him. I don't know where these bruises came from, but it's like, they're going to accuse me of this and people are going to believe them over me. And I think he did this to himself to try to convince my mother to kick me out because they kind of had to be on the same page. Like, I was just so distraught in this email. Like, even the things that I wrote didn't make sense. And I mean, I can kind of remember, like, seeing the bruises and, like, him showing me them and telling me that you know, I was the one that was physically abusive and everything like that. But it's just, it blows my mind. And it's like, when you take all these emails and you put them all together, and there was another one that was quite disturbing as well about phone calls that I was getting from quote unquote, child protective services, where they had we'll just say compromising pictures of me um and that they would use them to take my kids but if I would perform 
sexual favors on this person on the phone, then they wouldn't take my kids. So I blew it off in the email that I knew it was a prank call and I suspected that it was my ex-boyfriend. I was so like, I don't, I hate to say like mind control almost it felt like. Like I was just so damaged by the psychological abuse and the gaslighting that I just, I couldn't even see it, everything for what it was. But it's like, I have this person describing pairs of panties that I had. So, and describing my body in ways that they had to have seen something and they were trying to take my kids. But it's like, I didn't blame my parents. I didn't blame the clients. I just automatically went to, well, it was either my ex-husband or my ex-boyfriend. But it's like, I write these emails to this guy. How didn't he know? Like, literally. Like, I don't think he's listening, but like, if you are, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me that this stuff wasn't normal? And I mean, there's hundreds of emails where I'm just constantly writing about all this abuse that I was going through, how they were starving me, how they were locking me in my room, how they were, one of them, I said they were picking on my daughter. I don't even know what that meant. I don't remember what was going on with that. Um, I don't think it was anything detrimental or abusive or anything like that but it's just like how does anybody get emails from somebody not even just their girlfriend just somebody they know and not say like dude this shit's not normal and it's like I found a couple other emails from my aunt and I like reread them and I just she's talking about sex trafficking in them And I did not pick up on it when I read them before. I obviously didn't pick up on it when I first read them years ago. But it's just like, I sit down and I just think to myself, how many people knew? Like how many people throughout my entire life that came into contact with me knew something was happening? And yes, they may not have known that it was sex trafficking, but it was obvious that there were bruises. It was obvious that I was being physically assaulted. It was obvious that I was terrified to go home and terrified of my parents. I have clear, I had and still have clear cut signs of sexual abuse and sexual assaults. I mean, how did nobody know and if they did why didn't they do anything and it's just like sitting here and reading these emails it just gets me so mad and I'm not mad at the people in the community that didn't do anything because I firmly believe that it was because they didn't know what to do I mean it was the 90s the 80s and 90s like it just there wasn't that much stuff to do but it's like reading these emails yeah the guy in Iraq was very limited on what he could do but he could have told me this isn't normal you need to get you and your kids to safety and he never did 
And I even remember when I was pushing for him to call me when I got to the shelter and he was actually angry that I was talking about it with him because he was deployed and how dare I put him this kind of stress on him while he was deployed. I mean, never mind that I just left one of the most toxic situations, but you know, that's a conversation for another day. But it's just like, why is it that we have all these so-called movements right now that say, you know, listen to survivors, but it's like, do they really mean listen to survivors, listen to victims? I don't think they do. I don't think these grassroots type organizations even actually give a damn. And I know that it's like, it sounds kind of messed up because I don't want to hate on organizations, but there are organizations that exploit sex trafficking and sexual assault and domestic violence for monetary reasons, but it's like, I had to fight so hard to get a place at that shelter and exceptions had to be made and certain things had to happen for me to be able to get into that shelter. And I don't feel comfortable saying exactly what those things were, but you know, it's like, I should have been able to get into it a year prior. Like that last year of my life shouldn't have happened because I was already trying to get into the shelter. The director at the school that I went to was trying to help. The advocates at the support groups were trying to help me. I mean, there's so many things that are lacking right now. And how many people knew that there was something going on with me, but they just didn't know what it was. And they thought that it was abuse. And I'm not saying that, you know, abuse is okay, or they thought abuse was okay, but you know, maybe if they knew that it was sex trafficking, they would have pushed a little bit harder. And that's why I'm like, I'm so passionate about spreading real awareness because we cannot keep hiding behind these conspiracy theories and these lies and this misinformation. We can't give attention to it because it does take away from other victims and survivors. And it's like, if we had more of an education in the school system and for adults, more places to go to learn the signs. I mean, obviously, if you go to a truck stop and you go in there, they say, if you're a victim of human trafficking, you can call this number. Okay, I wasn't allowed to have a phone. I wasn't allowed to have a phone. So how was I supposed to call that number? I mean, the resources just aren't there yet. And I know that they're making, like trying to make differences, but you know what? Not a single legislator has ever asked the organization in the town that I lived in if they could talk to some survivors and say, hey, what laws do you think would have saved you? What things could we have done? It's like they're not asking the people that actually went through it. And if they have like, you know, judicial committee type things, you know, they've got the pro-sex work people that are saying you're going to basically be stripping the rights of them, you know. And I mean, 
to each their own. I mean, if you want to do it, I, I disagree. But, you know, that I think is what I get most from reading these emails is how many people know, how many people saw things and just ignored them because they thought if they ignored them that maybe I would eventually wake up and realize what was happening to me or maybe the police would have done something. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many people knew. And obviously, my entire family knew and did nothing. And my aunts knew that it happened to them. And in this email my aunt sent to me was an email that she sent to my mother. And she ended it with, think about it. How would you feel if Kelly came to you and said that she had been raped when she was a child? Like, really? So you can think about it enough in an email to shame my mother for your trauma, but you didn't think about it enough to check on me, to ask me, to make sure that they were not doing it to me. Just because you ignore the suffering, the abuse, the, and everything happening to someone else, it doesn't stop it. It actually allows it to continue. And it's just infuriating to me that my family knew. They knew the people they were, and they knew they were doing it to me. And they have been filled with nothing but lies and excuses, and I don't want to get involved ever since and I still will never hear the truth from their mouths they will never admit to me that they failed me and I mean I talked about in the closure episode about you know talking to my parents but you know I think I need to talk to my damn family at this point I think I need to talk to the people that witnessed it and did nothing maybe that's where I need my closure Because, you know, I'm not angry at my parents anymore. I mean, I haven't exactly forgiven them in the, like, sense that people think you forgive people. But I've released that. I've released myself from it. I don't give them my energy. But does that mean that I have to forgive my family when they didn't even apologize? When they won't even acknowledge that they knew and did nothing even if I never said anything to them still you knew the type of people that they were they've all admitted that they talked to one of my parents victims so they knew the type of people they were why not check on me and god I remember I think I was 16 or 17 and honestly it's a little I'm a little ashamed to talk about this but I'm going to go for it. You know, I was spending some time at my grandmother's house. Don't remember why I was there. And my fa- I think it was because my father was in prison. I, I don't remember. But anyways, I was spending the night at her house. And I went to bed. And I remember waking up my grandmother because I was like, you know, I went to bed. I need some help, you know, getting clean sheets and stuff. I don't know where anything is. You know, that's like a number one sign especially in like an older child that has been potty trained for quite some time. 
if they're wetting the bed that is a sign of sexual abuse sexual assault sex trafficking all anything sexual you know so why didn't she do anything and i remember i remember begging her to let me live with her that she had three bedrooms like just please let me stay with you and she didn't she turned me away because i went out with uh i mean i said he was my boyfriend but i mean he wasn't really a boyfriend he was just a guy i chilled with you know looking back but i broke a rule so she sent me home she knew what i was going through i told her the things that they were doing to me but she sent me home anyways i can't approach her about this because she passed away last year and they had the audacity to put my name my husband's name and my children's name in her obituary thank god i had those names taken out and it was just this whole thing that shouldn't have been a thing but you know it was just to make me mad it was it, it was to fluff up an obituary and i mean i don't hate on my grandmother and i don't like to speak ill of the dead but i mean why didn't why why send your granddaughter back when she's like telling you these things 16 17 years old wetting the bed that's not normal not normal why not tell a child this isn't normal and i'm gonna help you so this basically i mean i said it before like if you know that someone in your family is a predator check on their kids and i'm gonna say it again because this is how we're going to end sex trafficking it's not gonna be by sitting here and demanding that we know every single client that Ghislaine Maxwell took kids to, finding out the celebrities and the politicians. I mean, that's not how it's going to end. That's not how we fight sex trafficking. And yes, obviously, if we get those people taken down, yeah, they're not going to be buying anymore, but there's going to be people there to replace them. If we get rid of that little demand, there's going to be another demand to take its place. What we have to do is when it's sitting right in front of our face, we need to know the signs. And when we know them and we see them, we need to do something about it. We have these movements that say, believe survivors, believe victims, and I've said it before, I'll say it a thousand times over, I am not forcing anyone to believe me, I believe that is your choice, but when I was a child, why would I make something like that up? When I sat there and told my grandmother those things, why would I make it up? I mean, have a conversation with these people that are literally crying out for help. If somebody sends you a picture and you see welts and bruises on this person's body, ask them about it. If they don't want to talk about it, respect it, but try to figure it out. I mean, I needed someone, just one person 
to tell me that it wasn't normal. And the first person that told me was the judge at my restraining order hearing. He literally was the first person that actually called my parents out on lies and said things to my parents. I mean, my parents altered emails and I showed the re like the real emails and he sided with me. I was 26 years old and that was the first time that somebody had told me what happened to me wasn't normal and that I wasn't crazy and that they were the dangerous ones and they needed to be kept away from me and that I needed to be protected from them. Please don't make someone else wait 26 years. Nobody should have to wait that long to be told that what's happening to them isn't normal. So the thing I'm just going to leave you with is just check on your family members, check on your friends, because sex trafficking, it's not on Wayfair. It is not in the Suez Canal. It is not some creepy guy walking around Walmart leaving a flower or a mark on your car. It's your neighbors. It is your nephews. It is your aunts, your uncles. It is right next to you, right in front of your face. It's up to you to learn those signs and it is up to you to see them because chances are that child is waiting to hear the words this is not normal and I'm going to try to protect you. So be the person to say that to someone instead of the person that thinks that something is a little off and does nothing because it is better to be wrong and make a report than be right and do nothing at all. I emailed a man almost every day, multiple times a day, talking about the things that were happening to me. And not once, not once did he tell me it wasn't normal. And even when I left, like I said, he made it all about him and not about me and the things that I survived. That's not okay. And it happens too often. Survivors stay silent for so many reasons, and fear is one of those biggest reasons. And another one is the fear of not being believed. And you know what? I didn't put that fear in me, and I didn't realize that until I read those emails. He put that fear in me. My aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, my cousins put that fear in me. The people who I used to babysit their kids in the neighborhood that knew something was happening, they put that fear in me. Every single person that knew, that I reached out to, that I tried to tell like my principal, that didn't listen and didn't believe me and didn't do anything, they put that fear in me that I would never be believed because they confirmed what my parents had told me my entire life that nobody was ever going to believe me 
that nobody would ever love me and nobody would ever put up with my shit. Well, thank God I'm finally proving them wrong. But I hope that hearing this stuff, you can prove somebody else's abusive parents or sex traffickers wrong because that's how we end this. We don't end this bickering back and forth on the internet or cracking jokes on Twitter to a reporter about Joe Rogan being executed. That's not how we fight sex trafficking. We fight sex trafficking by learning about it, by not treating it as a joke or a conspiracy theory. It is such a heinous, horrific crime. And we have got to do something about it. And it starts in your home, in your life, in your family. It sucks, but that's where it starts. I'm going to leave it there for tonight. And as always, thank you for your continued love and support. I have finally made it over 5,200 subscribers and I am just so ecstatic that there's that many people listening and I hope that they are sharing my message and it's good to share and it feels good to be heard because I was silenced my entire life and when I finally got up the strength to actually tell my story I got silenced all over again and I get silenced every single day by social media so thank you so much for listening all your love and support means more to me than you could ever know. I hope y'all have a good night and I will talk with y'all soon.